Hey, listen, last week we ended the study with verse 14 of Romans chapter 6, where Paul said, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. And I wonder, as we start today, I wonder if you believe that. I wonder if you've come to the place where you understand that positionally sin is no longer the abiding power in your life. In verses 1 through 14, as we looked at it last week, Paul described the fact that at the point of our salvation, we have, first of all, a new relationship. We have a new relationship with God through Christ Jesus, but because of that, we also have a new relationship to the power of sin. Paul would say, listen, you are dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. And because of the new relationship, we have a new resource to deal with the power of sin. A resource deep within us, the Holy Spirit of God himself who lives and dwells within us. And the Apostle Paul would say that the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit who lives within us. How exciting is that? But then finally, and also, we said last week that we've been granted a new response to sin. And Paul described it in this way. He said, first of all, it has to do with what you believe. Consider yourself, count yourself, know yourself to be dead to sin but alive in Christ. But then also present yourself. Present yourself to God and the members of your body to God as instruments of righteousness. We talked about how that word present means to stand near. So don't stand near the things of sin, but instead stand near the things of God. That's our new response. So Paul is talking about our new position, all that we have gained, all that we now possess because of Jesus, and he did so through the analogy of death and life that we looked at last week. Again, dead to sin, but alive in Christ. In the second half of Romans chapter 6, he's going to continue to define our new nature, but he's going to do so with a different illustration. So he uses the slave-master analogy to talk about our newfound freedom. And so, turning your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 6, we're going to begin looking in verse 15. If you have the church app, you can also follow along with me there. Here's what Paul says in verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? And you're going to say, well, that sounds reminiscent to what he said in verse 1. So, yes, that's true. He's restating the same question. He's asking it differently, which means, of course, he's continuing the same argument, but he's going further and he's going deeper with that argument. So to the question, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Paul would say, may it never be. Remember, uh, just an outraged indignation. God forbid, may it never be, and my euphemism is heck no. And then Paul goes on in verses 15 and 16. He says, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? And there it is. There's the analogy. The slave-master relationship is a way for us, Paul is saying, for us to think about who we are in Christ Jesus. Now, there are some truths about slaves that I think we need to understand because we're somewhat displaced from that in today's world. But these truths are also what makes slavery so horrendous. Here's the first truth. Slaves, first of all, do not belong to themselves, but they belong instead to their master. Slaves are under the control of another. They're under the control of their master. They are only allowed to do what their master allows them to do. Slaves also, with respect to their measure of joy or fulfillment, that 
that joy and fulfillment, that happiness is dependent upon the goodness and the kindness of their master. So Paul goes further into this analogy because he wants us to understand who we are in Christ Jesus. And he says in verses 17 and 18, but thanks be to God. Yes. <laughs> Praise be to God that though you were, past tense, slaves of sin, you became, past tense, obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed, past tense again, from sin, you became, past tense, slaves of righteousness. So Paul is talking about the fact that we have now a new master. We have a new controlling principle. We have a new ruling power in our life. It is what and who we possess right now. And he's describing the transfer from one to the other that occurred in the past. So folks, this is the first key. The first key for the believer to have victory over sin is to realize both what they have received and who they are now in Christ. And we cannot overestimate or overstate the importance of this very point. In fact, it's the reason why Paul spends the whole chapter in chapter 6 to talk about this new position. It's a state of new reality, a transferred state. He says you were a slave to one, but now you are a slave to another. Now notice what he is saying here. This is an either or proposition. Notice he is saying you are a slave. Not that you ever did not become a slave, but that you changed who your master was. So it's just a matter of who or what you're enslaved to is the question. Now this is important because part of the truth that Paul is sharing here is what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, as recorded in Matthew chapter 6, remember when Jesus said these words, you cannot serve two masters for you will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Now Paul and Jesus are illustrating something that's true about life in general and true certainly about that which rules our lives. Here's the first thing I think that they're saying. Everyone serves something or someone. Everyone does. In other words, the assumption here is you've got a ruling power in your life. You've got some ultimate someone or something that is at the center of your existence that controls all the parts that gives meaning to the whole of your life. That someone or something lies at and lives within one of two domains or kingdoms. Within the domain kingdom of sin or the domain kingdom of righteousness. And by the way, anyone or anything not in Christ lies within the kingdom of sin and darkness. And you say, well, Mike, I don't buy this assumption. I don't serve anyone. I'm an independent, autonomous, self-sufficient person. I don't bend my knee to anybody. I don't serve anyone. I don't serve anything. I do what I want. And Jesus and Paul would say, there it is. That's your governing principle. Your governing principle is that you do what you want. Your master is yourself. Your independence is the master that you're serving. And, and by the way, you serving you means not serving Christ. So you, if you are the ruling power in your life, then you, my friend, are a slave to sin because anything that is outside the domain of Christ is in the domain of sin. You say, well, that's harsh. Because... I'm a good guy. I just have to say, no, you're not. 
and neither am I. Not compared to the righteousness of God. This is part of the problem. We tend to overestimate our goodness and underestimate our sin. Paul spends the first five chapters of the book of Romans paying this picture of our depravity in light of the holiness of God, how we are lost, how we are all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. Paul would say that there is none righteous, no, not one. So going back to the whole slave-master analogy, it's not if you have a master. You cannot not have a master, is Paul's point. It's just a matter of who it is. Here's the second thing I think Paul and Jesus are saying. You cannot serve more than one. You cannot serve two masters. Now, we want to ride the fence, don't we? We want the, most, we want the best of both worlds. But Paul and Jesus are saying, no, you cannot. Because when it comes to what rules our lives, when push comes to shove, and it will, and when there's conflict between two masters, and there will be, one ultimately wins, the other one loses. And the one that wins is your master. And by the way, Paul is saying your master, as being in Christ, your master has already won. It's not whether you win, it's whether your master wins, and guess who wins in the end? Jesus wins in the end. And again, speaking in the past tense, this is who we are positionally in Christ. So, everyone serves someone or something. No one serves more than one. But this is the third thing that's also true. And that is important. We must know who or what our master is. Because that knowledge, listen folks, that knowledge makes all the difference Because when we begin to align our lives under the reality of our master, and we have said we have surrendered our entire lives to this master, Jesus, and we say, I don't belong to myself, I belong to him. I am under his control, and the measure of joy or fulfillment that I experience in my life is dependent upon the goodness and the kindness of my master, who, by the way, is good and kind and who seeks the very best for you and me. There are direct results of who our master is. This is what Paul is saying. So know who or what yours is. And then Paul would, for the rest of the chapter, he would outline what we've gained as a result of our master as compared to the other master. And again, remember, all this is past tense. Paul is describing to us all we possess because of Jesus. And if we could get this, if we could get a vision of life like this, it would make all the difference. So... Paul is saying, because of this new master that we have in verses 19 and 20, we first of all are walking a different path. We are on the path that leads to life, liberty, and light. Look at what he says in verses 19 and 20. He says, for I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. In other words, he's saying, I'm dumbing this down just a little bit because I want to make sure that you understand it. He goes on, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, notice the trajectory here. Notice the path. Lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in what? More righteousness, or he would say sanctification. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In other words, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. But now that you're in Christ, you are under the control of righteousness. And here's what I'm saying about this path. It's a path that you and I are already on if we are in Christ Jesus. 
that path that we are walking is not a path toward greater sin. And I know there are ups and downs. And I know there are stops and starts in walking this path. But the path is ultimately leading toward righteousness. The trajectory of your life and my life is toward holiness. That's true about you and me. That is our destiny. That's where the path ends. There is a slavery that leads to more bondage, but there is a slavery that leads to more freedom. I'm on that path. I have that one. So it means this, that again, whether I feel it all the time or not, I am more becoming more of what I'm meant to become to reach my full potential. I am free to grow, free to experience the life and joy and peace and fulfillment that has been promised me in Christ Jesus. That's the path that I'm walking. And that is what is true about me. And so, we need to, when it comes to the power of sin at working out, we need to have a long-range perspective and understand this path that we are on I love what Martin Luther King Jr. used to say. He said, I'm not who I should be. I'm not who I will be. But thank God, I'm not who I used to be. Again, we're walking a different path. And here's what else is true. That different path leads to a different outcome. Look in verses 21 through 23. Paul says, therefore, what benefit, and that word could be translated fruit, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? <laughs> Isn't that great? He said, how did that plan work for you? How the life of sin, the life of self-rule, how did that plan work for you? What benefit did you gain for that, from that? And then he goes on, for the outcome of those things is what? Death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's a lot of things going on here. But what he's saying here is that in the end, as a result of our new master, as a result of the path that we're walking because of our new master, we have a different outcome. And that outcome is life. And that outcome is eternal life. And that eternal life, by the way, ends, begins here and now. Now, we know this to be true. As Paul is saying, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We know that in the matter of sin, there is always a bait and switch. Sin always promises what it cannot deliver. And so you say, well, what about when I sin as a Christian? Does that change who I am in Christ? Think about this reality again. We're dead to sin, alive to Christ. We have a new master. We're walking a different path with different outcome. And so people would say, well, does that change who I am in Christ? And here's what I want to say to that. When we sin as believers, it's, of course, a setback. It breaks fellowship with God. It breaks the kind of intimate relationship that we long to have with God and He longs to have with us. But while it ruptures our fellowship, listen, it never changes our position in Him. Because why? Because I've been born into that position. It was something that was given to me that I could not do for myself. And I trusted God to give that position to me through Christ Jesus. Remember my father illustration from last week? 
Remember I talked about how when I became a father, I began a relationship that I had never had, and I entered into a, a lifelong pursuit to build a relationship with my child. A new orientation came about in my life. I now identified myself as a father. I defined my life within that context from that point on. I made choices and decisions and aligned my thinking and my behaviors with this newly established relationship. It was how I began to see myself. But did I ever fail as a father? <laughs> of course. Did I ever feel like I wasn't a good one? Yes. But that didn't mean I stopped being one. It means that I sought to make it right. I sought forgiveness. And I moved forward. Because listen, being a father is not primarily based upon the things I do. And not being one is not based upon the things that I don't do or how I fail. It is based upon a relationship that I entered into that never goes away because it involved a birth. And when that child was born, I was also born as a father. You see, sin tries to make you have a different belief about who you are, doesn't it? Think about this. The goal of sin in the life of a believer is to not to get him or her to sin. That's just too simple. In fact, the tempter does not care so much about you sinning as what he seeks to do through that sin. His goal is to separate you from the love of God. His goal is to get you to doubt who you are. His goal is for you to not see yourself as a child of God and to get you to believe that you are therefore under the ruling authority of sin. That's what he seeks to do. He seeks to cause you to doubt about who you are in Christ Jesus. And I want to say to you, don't buy it. It's a lie from hell. Because if you ever, ever buy the assumption as a believer that sin is the ruling authority in your life, then you are already a victim of that sin. You can never, ever have victory with that kind of belief system. You have a new master. And because of him, you're on a different path that leads to a different end. Nothing not the power of hell or sin or death can ever snatch you out of his hand. You are a child of God. Live with that conviction. And when you fail, and you will, when you fail, you run back into the arms of the Father who forgives you and reestablishes the friendship and the fellowship that you had once before. He is a God of grace and a God of mercy. Listen, nothing, nothing good you could ever do could earn you that relationship with God and nothing bad you could ever do would ever cause you to lose it. It's not based upon you. It's your position that matters, not your performance. So claim it. Believe it by faith. And then folks, live like it. And live like it on your worst days. When you failed when you've messed up, remember that that does not change who you are in Christ Jesus. I bet most of you have seen the movie The Princess Diaries. Now, probably you men won't admit this, but it's a good movie. It's a story, if you've seen the movie, it's a story of a normal teenage girl who is one day thrown for a loop when, out of the blue, she learns the news that she is a real-life princess. 
She is the heir apparent to the crown of a tiny European country. And the queen of that country, who is, of course, her grandmother, shows up to give her princess lessons, to teach her how to live and how to behave like a princess. Well, you may not know this, but that event happened in true life about 15 years ago. There's a California girl named Jasmine Rotola, who, for reasons unbeknown to her, was never told that she was the daughter of the Prince of Monaco. And she found out when she was 14 years old. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being born royalty and never knowing it? All the privileges, all the rights, all the benefits of royalty, but not recognizing it. And I want to say to you, folks, you are a child of the king. You are dead to sin and alive in Christ. You were once a slave to sin, but now you are a slave to righteousness on a different path. Does that mean that you don't sin? Does that mean that you're perfect? Of course not. But our path is secure and our eternity is sure. We are a child of the king. And our master is Jesus himself. Believe it, know it, live like it, define yourself as such. And do not let the world, do not let others, do not let the enemy, do not even let yourself tell you otherwise. And next week, we're going to begin to talk about the difference that position makes. And it only gets better and better. Let's bow in prayer. with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to just give you a moment to think about who you are in Christ. The world beats this reality out of us, doesn't it? It sends a whole different message to us, doesn't it? It tells us that when we fail, we've lost our position in Christ, that we're no longer loved, we're no longer accepted, we're no longer children of God. And I want to say to you again that those are lies from the enemy. And that kind of thinking, those kinds of beliefs, the acceptance of those assumptions leads to us being victims of sin rather than victors. And I want to remind you that there is within you the resource of the Holy Spirit, a greater power. Yes, the power of sin is present, but there is a greater power within you that you possess because of Jesus. And you're on a different path. And your destiny is sure. And yes, there'll be ups and downs. And there'll be times of failure and weakness. There'll be times when you'll say to God over and over again, never again, God, will I do it. Never again will I do it. And you'll fail. And I want to say to you that God is still there with arms open wide and with grace to receive his children back. I've been there. Oh, how I tire of sin. But God's grace and mercy is greater. So I want to give you a moment just now with the music playing to pray to your Father in heaven to remember who you are in Christ and to recognize that even on your worst day, you're still a child of God.
So let me give you a moment to pray. Father, thank you that you did for us what we can never do for ourselves. This is what grace means. This is why the Christian life is so exciting. Because in a supernatural way, we are meant to live it. We could never achieve sanctification. We could never achieve holiness in and of our own strength. But we thank you that you provide for us everything needed for life in Christ. So, Father, as we move into chapter 7 and we begin to talk about the benefits of our position in Christ and the practical dimensions of it, I pray that you continue to teach us and lead us. Help us to walk in a new reality. And therefore, God understand all that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Thank you for this time together today. And bless those who have worshiped with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.